Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are so good to us. We thank you that we can rejoice in your presence, that we can lift up our voices to you, uh, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Lord, thank you for the worship team and their service to you. Thank you for their service to this body and leading us in worship God. We thank you for um, the audiovisual team and um, being in the background, but being a, a key part um, in making this um, service to be glorifying to you, God. We thank you, Lord, that you are a good God, that you shine in the midst of sorrow, that you shine in the midst of trouble, that you shine in the midst of heartbreak, God. And we think of um, the hurricane victims that you would continue to use your church to shine there, continue to minister your grace and mercy in those places um, that have been hit, God. Let the church um, do what it does best, and it, that is to shine um, Jesus to a lost and dying generation, God. We pray today, Lord, that um, your word would go forth and that we would receive it for what it is, your word. So make us um, attentive um, hearers, attentive listeners, Lord, that receive your word planted on the fertile soil of our heart, God. Let it do its work. Spirit, we ask you to take this word and minister it to our souls. We pray the same for our kids that are heading to class Thank you for the teachers and their efforts there, Lord. Uh, may much fruit continue to be born in their lives, Lord. We love you. Amen. All right, turn to Luke chapter 10. Last time I looked at uh, how Jesus himself prayed, as seen in the book of Luke. And this week I want to look at two passages in Luke where Jesus instructs others how to pray and uh, for us to learn from Jesus' own words, how we can seek the Father. So in Luke 10, it's a very short little section of verses we're going to look at. It starts out in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, of all the things and instructions that Jesus gives to us on prayer in the book of Luke, the very first time he gives instruction, guess what the key thing is? Reaching the lost. Reaching the lost. So of all the topics he could have he could have chosen. And here specifically, when he's sending out uh, the 72, the specific directions that he starts with, where's the focus? Reaching the lost. Reaching the lost. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers review. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And what is Jesus doing? He's enacting the very words that he's encouraging them to do. He's sending them out into the harvest. So, we need to pray for the harvest. Here's the thing. It says the harvest is plentiful, and guess what? We either believe that, or we don't. Now, I don't know about you, but um, Jesus said it, and that's good enough for me. So, if he said it, if he said the harvest is plentiful, then we need to, to believe it, in spite of what maybe we sometimes feel is the case. If the Lord says the harvest is plentiful, then guess what? It's plentiful. 
That means we need to do exactly what Jesus says to do. Pray for the harvest. Pray for laborers to go out. And then guess what? We need to fulfill that prayer request by being the ones that go and be the laborers. You know, right here in our midst, we have ministries bearing good fruit in regards to the lost. We have our D6 um, catechism, and I consider that like homegrown fruit, right? Because that's kids coming up in our midst. And through the efforts of the teachers, with obviously the parents involved, um, but they are planting the seeds of the gospel week after week after week after week into our kids' hearts. And I think if I can give an encouragement to anyone who ever has been or is or will be a catechism teacher here, um, I mean, those kids aren't born saved. Right? They're not born saved. At some point, they have to make that decision. They have to come to a saving faith in Jesus. And we don't know if it's going to be 2, 3, 4, 5, 10, 15, whatever. But when you are in those classes with those kids, you have an amazing privilege and, I'd say, grave responsibility of teaching accurately the truth of the gospel to them. But how exciting is that to be able to play a part in the salvation of your brothers and sisters in Christ, their children here at this church. So I encourage you, like, take advantage of those opportunities. Because when you're in that class, you can give them, even if it's just a 30-second or a minute or two minutes, you can give them a slice of the gospel, or you can give them the whole pie of the gospel. But you can, you can and you should be, weaving that in regularly to your lessons that you're teaching them. Because guess what? I grew up um, in a very uh, liberal um, branch uh, uh, of Lutheranism. And I knew all those stories in the Old Testament and all the stories in the New Testament, the big ones and Jesus' miracles and things like that. But guess what was left out? The gospel. So those, those messages um, might teach me good moral character to have, which I didn't have. Um, but it didn't give me the very thing I needed most, the gospel. So um, let's make sure the key thing, the thing that saves, is included in the very message we're giving to our own children. And parents, this, this can apply to ourselves in our own homes, with our own Bible times, and our own instruction to the kids. The, the gospel um, should, be, it should be the framework from which we're operating, but it should be woven into every message that we're giving them. Otherwise, all we're going to do is we're just going to raise um, good, moral, upright citizens. And maybe you're doing a benefit to society in general in some loose sense, but you are doing great damage to their soul because you're just damning it to hell. The gospel has to be there, and it has to be loud and clear. And the, my personal opinion is, is that I think that if we err, most parents err on swinging towards law. Now, some swing too much towards, towards grace, but we swing too much towards law, and we leave out grace, and grace should be shouting from the rooftops 
in our houses. And it's often just like a tiny whisper in the background. And that damages our kids. They should see the beauty, the glory of what grace is, what it means to have Jesus in your life. And, and each one of you are the best testimony to that fact. The best or maybe the worst, right? But you're the testimony. And they're the ones, they're watching you, and you make the testimony to them about the beauty of the gospel. So I encourage you, make it beautiful. Show them the beauty that is there. We've also had fruit um, through IGY this year. We've, we've seen um, six people get saved this year through IGY. That's amazing, guys. That's awesome. <clears throat> six people transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And, and this is before um, IGY's biggest outreach event, which is the Chocolate Fest. That hasn't even happened yet, right? That's a couple weeks away. So please, um, be praying for that. That's coming up uh, a week, November 8th. Um, at the Change the Globe retreat, one uh, young woman shared with me how she had experienced the freshness of the gospel again. And that's what we need, like a freshness of the gospel. She had a renewal in her life. What about our work with missions? Yeah. About 15 people this year got saved through Liberty's efforts in the country of Belize. 15 Belizean people you heard some of those stories shared a number of months ago. If you didn't, if you missed out on the, that week, you need to go back and listen to the podcast. It was very encouraging and exciting to see um, how God is using our church. And here's the thing. All of you had a hand in those things. If you prayed, if you financially supported, if you encouraged people, if you actually went and were a part, you had a hand in those things. Okay? That's the body being the body, okay? Not everyone can go, but you can partake in the going. Not everyone can fly thousands of miles, but you still can partake, because why? The body is the body, okay? So part of the body can get on that plane and go. Part of the body can stay back here and commit to praying. Part of the body can take some of their finances and make sure that trips happen. The body being the body. But here's what I think our challenge is when we're thinking about fulfilling what Jesus said here and being laborers and being sent out is we end up staying um, what I would call in our own little bubble. And there's, everyone has like bubbles that they're a part of. Um, there's a sports bubble, all right? Uh, my family's in that. We're in the basketball bubble. There's the homeschool bubble. The private school bubble. Um, and we think, here's, what we, here's the challenge. We think some of these bubbles don't have unsafe people in them. That's what we think. And actually, sometimes we kind of gravitate towards those things because that's what we think. Um, but don't assume the people that are kind of in your close-knit Christian bubble are believers. Um, you already know too many people that go to church that probably aren't saved, right? I mean, most people, at least today, people still, I don't know what the percentages are. Barna could tell us. 
Um, but many people still go to church on a regular basis. I'm, you know, I'm not sure some of those people are saved. So just because um, people participate in a Christian organization, just because they go to church, just because they go to a Christian co-op or a Christian school, um, I mean, that doesn't mean they know Jesus. Uh, I teach part-time at a private school in Wentzville, and I was talking about Jesus, and I was in the middle of talking, and I was saying, um, and when I got saved, and this, and, and this kid interrupts me um, in third grade, and he's like, well, what, what does that mean, saved? And it, and it kind of like dawned on me. Here, I'm teaching at this, this Christian school, and this um, third grader had apparently never even heard the term saved before. So my Latin class turned into a little theology class uh, for the next few minutes, right? What an amazing opportunity. Um, but, you know, that is a bubble right there. Private Christian school. But even within that school, right, there's families and even kids that don't know the gospel. So we're all going to operate in different bubbles, but my encouragement is, is just don't assume because people are using the label Christian or it's a really conservative organization or something like that. There might be actually opportunities within those bubbles that you need to look for. Don't assume everyone who says they're Christian is a Christian. So look for those opportunities in the bubbles. But then the other side is, is uh, we need to make sure we get outside of those bubbles. Okay? That maybe a good number of them in some of those bubbles are saved, Guess what? Jesus says, go. He gets 72 together, and he sends them out, out of their bubbles, right? They had the Jesus bubble. That's a pretty cool bubble to be in, you know? I want to be in that bubble. <clears throat> but even Jesus was like, okay, time to get out of the Jesus bubble and go out there and do something with what you've learned in my bubble. So he sends them out. And we need to be thinking and looking, and really, for many of us, probably forcing ourselves out of our bubbles in order to reach the lost. So we need to get outside of our bubbles. Look at Luke 18. Luke 18, there's actually two parables here on prayer. We're going to look at the, the second one. In verse 9, it says, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So here in this parable involving prayer, what is the focus? Well, it's about coming before God and how we justify ourselves or understand where our justification comes from. Really, Jesus is kind of answering the question, how do I know I'm saved? I mean, he makes it clear, the Pharisee is not, the tax collector is. 
That goes against the convention of the day. What is Jesus driving at? He wants humility. That's why he sums it up in the very last part. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Look at Psalm 51. It says this in verse 13 of Psalm 51. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Our Heavenly Father wants humility and brokenness when we come before Him. I remember a number of years ago um, at Life Group one night, we were taking prayer requests, and one family um, was greatly burdened, and, and they were like, hey, we really need prayer, and they went on to kind of share what their family was struggling with. Um, that took humility to really open up before the rest of the group. But they were broken, and they really wanted the help. They wanted the help so much that they were willing to open up and be a little vulnerable to have the body come around them. This couple realized that that they were the crippled foot that needed help. And in Galatians chapter 6, it says this, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Um, we can't bear burdens if we don't know what they are. Uh, it takes humility to open up to others and, and ask for help. But here's the thing. Don't, don't be the Pharisee that was too prideful to truly come before God. I mean, he had kind of the, uh, the formalness of, of supposedly coming before him, but, but to truly come before him and pour out his heart before the Lord. Um, that's part of what that Life Group book that we're reading through on prayer kind of hit on the last time where the childlike faith, right? And coming to the Lord as a child. Uh, each one of us is called to be the hands and feet. We're called to be the body. Now, I don't know if you've ever had it. You probably have where um, someone walks up to you and you're talking with them and then, like, all of a sudden, you know, they're like, uh, well, what happened to you? And, you know, they point to your hand or your leg and you're, like, bleeding. You didn't even know it until right then when they pointed it out to you, right? That you were bleeding. Well, what do you do at that point? I mean, you just ignore it? No, you give it the attention it needs. Well, the same is true for the body of Christ. I mean, if someone is hurting, um, you don't know it unless it's made known by that person in the body. You as the hand or the foot, you have to be willing to say, hey, I'm hurting, I've been cut, I'm the hand, I need, I need bandages. I need some salve, I need some ointment. Help me out. And we get this 
beautiful picture that I want you to see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 8, Paul says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. Don't you love the hope that Paul has there? Right? He did deliver, and he will deliver. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So notice how he lays this out for us. Uh, They had an affliction. What did it do? It made them rely on the Lord. Okay, And this is what amazes me in verse 9. It says in the second part, um, we felt we had received the sentence of death. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Sometimes these, these afflictions, these trials that we have, the very purpose God has them in our life is to make us rely not on ourselves, but on him. It should drive us to him. But I was reading this a few months ago, and this just about floored me when I read it. In verse 11, the very first part, he says, this is Paul, you also must help us by prayer. Now, if you ever want an amazing verse that God wants us to pray, I mean, here's the Apostle Paul, and he's saying, help us by sending money. No, help us by prayer. Help us by prayer. Well, why would he even have them praying if it didn't do anything? Why would he have them spend time doing that if it was a fruitless endeavor? There, he's using some serious words here, a deadly peril. And he still has confidence. He says, God will deliver us. He did deliver us. He will deliver us. But guess what, guys? We need your help. So there's a confidence there, but there's an understanding that the body is needed. And if the Apostle Paul can humble himself and realize that he needs the body to minister to him and his needs, certainly we can too. We should be able to humble ourselves and ask for prayer when we're hurting. See, God uses burdens to have us depend on him and seek him out, but also to seek help from others, to seek their support, to seek their prayers. And so, I know it's hard, but you got to toss aside pride. you got to toss it aside. And sometimes the Lord has to rip it right out of you. And that's a good thing when he's rooting out pride. It hurts. It doesn't feel good. And let me encourage you, if you are hurting, you need to turn to the Lord. If you have wounds, you need to turn to the Lord. If you're struggling... You need to turn to 
the Lord. And then you need to turn to the body for help. That's what we're seeing. A humility that seeks the Lord and seeks the help, the support, the encouragement of the body. Because we are called to bear the burdens of one another. But guess what? I can't bear your burden if I don't know your burden. I can't help your bleeding if I don't know your bleeding. And the same is true for everybody here. So there needs to be a willingness to come humbly before the Lord and seek Him. You have to acknowledge it, you have to humble yourself, you have to seek out help. I encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for shining your light on us. Thank you for claiming us as your own, Lord. And what a privilege it is to call you Father. And I thank you, Lord, we can come before you. We can present ourselves, God, just our very selves to you. And you are a good, good God. You love us. And you are merciful and gracious, Lord. You oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble, Lord. So I pray that each of us, Lord, would humble ourselves in your sight. I pray, God, that you would shine your light on us. Lord, renew us through your Spirit. Give us that freshness of the gospel. Let us be one of those 72, Lord, that is sent out. Do your work, God, on our hearts, Lord, wherever we might be afflicted, wherever we might be hurting, God, wherever we might be wounded. Let us come before you, God. Humbled in your presence. Spirit, we ask that you would work in us and through us, that you would fill us. Take these words and apply them to our hearts and our souls. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice to us. May we not take it lightly. We love you. Amen.